We're reading from uh, 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 5 today. It says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved, false teachers and true contentment. Reach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You may be seated. Read beautifully. Hey, look, there's a couple of guitar picks here. I wonder how Jordan will feel if I stick these in my pocket. Um, interesting passage in front of us tonight. I uh, wonder how often have you uh, pondered? Any, anybody here actually in the position of being a slave? No? Uh, anybody here own slaves? If you fall into either of those, please talk to me afterwards. We need, we need to talk about those things. Um, but this is one of those passages that begins in such a way that we might say, well, you know, the relevance to me is minimal, if at all. Uh, but we'll try to see what the relevance of these words are for us tonight. Uh, we're back to First Timothy. How long has it been? I didn't count up the number of weeks. I know we had five weeks of the Advent focus. Last week, John's focus on beginning the year, praying, uh, introducing to us the idea that our bodies can also participate in prayer uh, through the means of fasting. Um, I wasn't here. Uh, I couldn't find it on the, uh, pull up the sermon on the website, not sure what happened there. But uh, so if you haven't heard it, uh, talk to somebody. I'm planning to, you know, I talked to some of the other elders to find out what was said. And by the way, please, as we're fasting, be wise. Uh, it's it's uh, good to set out a plan and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to fast, we're going to pray from, you know, the early morning hours into the evening. Uh, but for some of us, fasting is not wise or appropriate. Uh, if there are health concerns, uh, speaking as a mental health professional, some people, if they don't eat, uh, the mind 
can do some really strange things. So please, if it's, if it's not wise for you to fast from food, uh, some of us take uh, medication in the morning that requires it be taken with food. Otherwise, bad results for the body. Uh, God is not watching us saying, Oh, Mike, <laughs> you ate breakfast. That's it, not going to hear your prayer. Uh, I, I can't imagine any one of you coming up to someone who found that they had the need to not uh, re- refrain from food for health reasons and saying, well, you know, you're, not, you're no longer in the inner circle of the refuge family here. Uh, be pushed to the outside. So please understand that these are requests, these are things that we'd like to participate in together, but we don't want people uh, to be unwise with that and, uh, and treating their bodies in a harmful way if that's the case for you. Here we are back in 1 Timothy. It's been quite a while, so as we come into chapter 6, Let's remind ourselves that uh, Paul writing this letter to Timothy, as Timothy has been trusted to lead the church in Ephesus, and Paul has gone through a number of things. Paul had begun by saying, Timothy, you have a calling. You have a job to do here. I want you, Timothy, to teach what is true. There are people among you, Paul says, that are teaching other things, and he's actually going to circle back to that in our passage tonight. I want you to teach what is true. I want you to live, Timothy, in a true way. I want you to live in keeping with what God says so that you can function as an example to the people of God. Paul alternates his teaching to Timothy. Timothy, here's my instructions for you, with giving also instructions for the church as a whole. And starting somewhere in the middle of uh, chapter 4, but certainly in chapter 5 and onward, Paul has said, okay, He's alternating, Timothy, here's some instructions for you. Now here's some instructions for the church. And Paul has given instructions to various groups or categories of people within the church. And so Paul, Paul has given us some teaching on various age groups, uh, older people younger people, older women, younger women, older men, younger men. Paul has given specific instructions to various age groups. And then Paul gave uh, instructions concerning a specific category of people, those who are widows, very significant in that time. And Paul gave his instructions about the widows. And then Paul moved on, thirdly, to say, here are some instructions for the elders, 
that lead the church. And now Paul, in chapter 6, is moving into the fourth specific category of people that he has instructions for so that the household of God operates in an orderly way, and that is his instructions to slaves. Okay. Now, I set that context up so that we don't misunderstand. What we don't have here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a statement of God's views on slavery as an issue. I think there are other scriptures, and at another time, in another setting, we can certainly discuss those. But Paul is not here saying, here are God's views on the issue of slavery. Uh, some of those other teachings are found in others of Paul's letters in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul makes the very extremely radical statement for his time when he says, you know, in Christ Jesus, it's no longer the case that people are divided between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. It is no longer true that People are divided on the lines of you have the slaves over here and you have the masters over here. He says it's no longer true that people are divided in their value between males and females. Those are radical statements that he's made in other places. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, uh, masters, treat your slaves with respect and awe. Okay. Turns it upside down on its head. The society said masters are up here and slaves are down here. And Paul says, Masters, I want you to look at your slaves with total respect and awe. Stand in awe of them. In that same chapter, he says to the slaves, I want you to obey because, not because the masters are greater, but because each and every one of us is a slave, same terminology, to the one true master, Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter to Philemon, a believer, Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus had found, understandably, slavery to be oppressive, had run away, had met up with Paul, had been helping Paul out, and Paul writes to Philemon and says, I want you to take Onesimus back. If, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it, Paul says, out of my pocket. And I want you to take him back, not as a slave, but I want you to take him back as a friend and a brother. See, the, the teaching of, of the New Testament is filled with these things that turn the social structures on their head but here Paul is addressing 
there are people in the church at Ephesus whose category of life, where they fit into society, is they are slaves. And Paul is offering this teaching to them, not saying slavery is good, not saying that um, they are somehow blessed in the situation in which they find themselves. He's simply saying to them, the current reality is that you are slaves. And while that is an unbelievably vile reality for you, you can still live a life that is meaningful and godly. Now, my quick unscientific survey, nobody here claimed I'm a slave. But we begin to see in this that there is some relevance to us because what's being taught by Paul is that although your current reality may be unbelievably unbearable, it is not impossible to have a rich and a meaningful and godly life within the household of God. Let me take your attention over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And just uh, maybe listen as I read from 1 Corinthians 7 for you. And I want to read it from the message translation because I think Eugene Peterson in writing it down in contemporary English for us has captured what Paul is saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17, Paul writes this. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Let that begin to sink in. Don't be wishing you were someplace else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right where you are. Paul gives a number of examples. And he ends up saying this uh, regarding marital status. God, not your marital status, defines your life. He goes on to give another example and says, being Jewish, race is not the point. His third example then, relevant to what we're reading tonight, is this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Stay where you were when God called you. Were you a slave? 
Slavery is not a roadblock to obeying and believing. I don't mean to say, Paul writes, that you're stuck and can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you are going to experience a marvelous freedom that you would never have dreamed of. On the other hand, if you were free when Christ called you, you'll experience a new delightful enslavement to God that you never would have dreamed of. Because all of you, slave and free both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. And then a huge sum was paid for your ransom by Jesus. So please, don't, out of old habit, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Friends, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold on with him at your side. As, as the new year has come around, and, and so many of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions. Well, I'm not because I gave up on that a long time ago. Uh, anybody good at keeping New Year's resolutions? Uh, be honest. It's okay. There might be one in the, in the crowd. Okay. You set your mind to it. This is my resolution. I'm going to keep it. We're up to what's today's date? The seventh? The what? The ninth. How can that be? <laughs> okay, we're up to the ninth. Um, I wonder how many people are keeping their resolutions after the first nine days of the year. Uh, but it occurred to me this year that I would ask myself the question or ponder the question that Jesus in Mark chapter 10 came to the blind man and asked him, the man Bartimaeus, the man is blind. Jesus comes to him and says, strange question. What do you want me to do for you? Doesn't seem obvious. Why would Jesus ask that? I don't want to end up preaching on Mark chapter 10. But drawing from that, I thought, well, this year instead of resolutions, maybe I should ponder the question if Jesus came to me and said, Mike, what do you want me to do for you? What response would I give? Jesus, this is what I would like you to do for me this year. And, and I have... I don't know. I'd be glad if you shared, uh, but I don't know what your response to that would be. I think for me, it, it really boiled down to this after pages of journaling. Uh, Jesus, I would like to be aware of your presence at every moment. Like, walk through this year with the awareness Jesus is here. 
Jesus is here, wherever I might be, doing my work, doing my chores, doing my um, tasks, doing my recreation, that there would be a continual awareness this year that Jesus is present. What Paul is teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, especially as it relates to slaves, the most oppressive situation imaginable for one human being to be owned as property by another human being. That you can still live a godly life. Life can still be meaningful and fruitful no matter what the situation might be. Even the worst imaginable situation. Because God is present. As we read in 1 Corinthians, hold on. God is at your side. And so in addressing the church at Ephesus, Paul says to the slaves, look, the reality is you are under a yoke of slavery. This is the burden you bear. I don't condone it. I don't support it. I wish with all my heart that it wasn't true. But if you are under the yoke of slavery, then because of this perspective that Jesus, the master, is with you, you would actually be able to look at the slave master with respect. Not because they have earned that respect. Not because they are an honorable person but because of your respect for the Lord your God. You see, Paul says the reason for this is so that God's name will not be blasphemed. God's name will not be slandered. As he taught in 1 Corinthians, yes, if you can be free, be free. But while you're there, Have a different mind. Have this mind in you that Christ Jesus also had. That although he was God, he wasn't clinging to his rights. You see, we we live in a context that says it's all about your rights. It's all about what you want. It's all about you knowing what's best for you. And the teaching that we have in front of us says, hang on a second. Hang on a second. It's God that knows. It's God that's number one. It's God who can give you the endurance. It's God who can give you an amazing and miraculous respect 
for people who are not respectable. And then uh, these, these church members in Ephesus, just like me, just like you, they said, well, you know, we know Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. So look, if Jesus is going to set us free, hey, I'm going to slack off as a slave because my master is also a Christian person, a brother in the church. I don't have to work hard. God is, Jesus is doing something amazing and is, is going to release all the captives and give new life. And so I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to slack off. I'll do what, they're, what they say when they're watching. This comes up in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, but when they're not watching, I'm going to take it easy. And Paul says to the slaves in the church at Ephesus, no, no, don't, don't take that attitude. Just because your master is a believer, don't take advantage. Don't despise them for that reason. But be all the more obedient. Why? Anybody with me? We don't want to bring shame on the name of Jesus, and specifically the way it plays out here is, I want you to respect them all the more, serve them all the better, because the people that benefit from your service are your beloved brothers. This is, this is radical stuff. Paul is not just caving in to the societal norms around him. Nor is he fomenting rebellion, by the way. But he's saying, given the situation, the situation sucks. You didn't know that word was in the Bible, did you? The situation is awful, but while you're there, and given that reality, live in a different way, because Roman society had this concept. Slave owners are the benefactors of the slaves. Now, <laughs> scratch your head and think about that. It's misguided, it's mistaken, it's wrong. To own another human being is not to give benefaction to them. Plus, the reality, scripturally, that we're slaves to no one except God, who is the true master. But the societal norm said the master is the benefactor of the slave, and Paul flips that over and says, if you live in this way, you rebel from the grassroots up. You shake up the system from bottom to top because when you operate in that way, you become the benefactor to the master. What does the scripture teach throughout? The ones who, were, who are humbled will be I'm worried about you. It will be lifted up, 
right? The ones who are oppressed will live and rule in the kingdom of God. Now, I'd like to go back to our elders' meetings where we scoped out these passages and asked questions. Um, But, uh, you know, John and his family are enjoying some well-deserved time away. Uh, I see Nikolai back there. Uh, As we scoped this out and as I began to study in the past weeks for this passage, I thought, okay, I got... (laughs) I got an interesting draw here because Paul teaches about slaves and then there's this big shift where he goes back to saying, now, Timothy, here's some instructions for you. Uh, So really this message is in two parts. (laughs) Part one, which we've just completed here, is... These are my teachings for slaves who live now, not as slaves, but live in the household of God. Part, what did I say? Did I say part one or part A? I need to know if I'm saying B or two now. Two. Thank you. Okay, some people are following me. Uh, Clearly, I'm not following me. All right. So part two now, we enter into Paul coming back and saying, now, Timothy, you, you're the one that I sent to lead these church, this church, and I want you, Paul says in the second half of verse two, these are the things you are to teach. Uh, it's worth noting again that this comes in context Paul is not here saying, okay, Timothy, these are the things I want you to teach about slaves. These is all the things that Paul's been saying from the middle of what we have as chapter 4 up to now. All these instructions that I've given to the household of God, these are the things, Paul, that I want, I'm sorry, Timothy, that I want you to teach. Teach all these things. And then Paul leaves Timothy or gives to Timothy an important statement that we could easily miss. And depending on which uh, English translation you're reading, but what Paul says is, I want you to teach these things and I want you to encourage the people. Okay, teaching that just stands up here and holds a microphone and opens up the notes is not what Paul has in mind. He says, Timothy, I want you to teach these things and I want want you to get down mingle, be with the people, and encourage them in these things. I don't want you just to hand them off and then go off into your own world. Teach these things and encourage. Why is it so important 
that Paul says to Timothy, I want you to teach and encourage. Well, I mean, some of the good wisdom we know about good teaching, right? Teaching that's just words and then the life of the teacher goes in a different direction. How does that work? Anybody want to follow that kind of teaching? But more than that, Paul says it very importantly here, I want you to teach these things and I want you to encourage these things because he's once again, as he did in chapter 1, now in chapter 6, and I think it's John that we'll pick up next week on our way finishing up Paul's letter. Paul began with saying, Timothy, you are in contrast to the false teachers. And this is one of the staggering contrasts that Paul lays out. Because in his description of the false teachers, it is anything but describing teachers who are encouraging. Uh, look at verse 4. They are conceited. They understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversy and quarrels about words. It results in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. Paul says, Timothy, you want to be a teacher of God's church? You need to stand in contrast to the false teachers. You are to teach and encourage. <laughs> These characteristics of the false teachers. Uh, let's walk through them rather hurriedly here. First of all, they're not devoted to the healthy words of Jesus and godliness. Paul's being very uh, specific here. The words of Jesus and the words of God that lead to godliness are healthy words. In our time, as in many times past, People on all sides, on all perspectives, have taken to speaking in ways that are not about health, but are about destruction and tearing down. Get this, Paul says to these false teachers, um, the... The NIV, which I'm reading here, says they are conceited. It's a much stronger word than that. These false teachers are, Paul chooses a word that's rooted in mental illness. These teachers are insanely arrogant. There's a kind of insanity in them that puts them at the top. I am up here. You are down there. 
you must follow me. I will tell you what is right. I will tell you what is wrong. Do it my way. And if you don't do it my way, then you're bound for destruction. The other guys aren't doing it the right way. I'm doing it the right way. Follow me. These false teachers are insanely arrogant. Paul says they lack understanding, comprehension. And they are, again, he gets very specific here and says they are diseased in living in controversy and endless arguing. A world is filled with controversy and endless arguing. And those who teach in God's household are not to be that way. Stand in contrast with that. What is the result for these teachers? It only results not in the truth, not in a meaningful and rich life for God's people, no matter what their circumstances might be. It it results only in envy and strife and slander and evil suspicions and constant arguing. What does it all boil down to for these false teachers? They have got it so twisted that they think that godliness is the way to get what they want. Godliness is not good for them because it is living out their relationship to God. Godly living for them, or the appearance of godly living, is a way to get social status, financial gain, worldly power and authority. Timothy, this is not who you are to be, Paul says. Teach instead. Teach and encourage. My desire is that we go away from tonight First of all, that we go away with what God wants for us. And if that is beyond what I've said and shared, then that is a good thing. But what I see as possibilities for us to go away with is, first of all, this. Be content and godly where you are.
I promise you as a mental health professional that the, a great number of people who come for help with anxiousness and depression and distress in their lives. I'm not talking here about mental illness. That's a category unto itself. But those who come with the stress, anxiety, depression that come from the outside, not from their brains, it's because they're living in a place, living in such a way that says, if only I was and they fill in the blank, then I could live the good life. And with a moment's reflection, you can probably recognize this all around you. Uh, couples come. You know, if only my wife would straighten up, I could have the good life. I could live a godly life. If only I uh, had a better job, I could have a meaningful life. If only my finances were different, I could have a good and godly life. If only I lived in a red state, I could have a good and godly life. If only I lived in a blue state, I could have a good and godly life. If only I wasn't in Sonoma County, I could have a good and godly life. And it goes on and it goes on, and I don't mean to criticize these points of view or to say that there's not a place for discussing them, but if we live in a mindset that says, if only I was here in life, I could have a good and godly and meaningful life. You are missing the point. Wherever my, I may be, in whatever situation I may find myself, I can have, I have access to, by the gift of God and my relationship with Jesus Christ, a rich and meaningful and godly life. And if God gives the opportunity to be free from some aspect, please, by all means, take it as, as Paul has taught. But while you're there, it doesn't mean it's not accessible to you. Second takeaway that I find here. Um, good thing we don't charge at the door because you're going to say, well, that's obvious, okay? Um, but I want it to be obvious, and sometimes it's the obvious. We need to put the highlighter and italics and bold print. Live in the healthy words of Jesus. Not in the diseased controversies and battles of words. Live in the healthy words of Jesus, not in the diseased controversies and battles of words. These are the things that God 
asks us to teach. Some may teach standing here, but we all teach. We all share. And as we share, teach and encourage these things. Father, we live as always since our human rebellion in the garden. We live in a world where so often everything seems to be working against us with various degrees of difficulty and challenge. Will you teach us to learn to be content and to find that we can live godly and meaningful lives where we are. Teach us, Lord, that we need not say, if only, but that we may say, since I am here and you are with me, I can live. And Heavenly Father, keep us by the power of your Holy Spirit in the healthy words of Jesus instead of in the diseased words of constant controversy. We need your help, and we have your help, and we're grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen.